0: On RT Radio 1 now, it's time to join Owen McDevitt, Kieran Murphy and this week's guest, Sharon Horgan, for Second Captain Saturday.
1: You don't understand, I could have had class. I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody. somebody.
2: So he's almost like having a second captain, in not second captain first captain whatever
3: good morning thanks for spending a little bit of time with us on second captain saturday today owen here with murph hi on hey there owen how are you good morning i'm great it's all Ireland final weekend and i'm gonna need you to cast your mind back Ooh. this morning all the way back to 1995 when dublin last played to on the biggest stage that okay. was the one and only time in my life that i attended a game by myself on the sacred ground of hill 16. Oh, well, I'm, I'm doing the maths here on, you were, what are you? Four? 15. 15? 15, 15 right? okay, years of yeah, age, yeah. yeah. I would have been aware, even at that age, of the legendary
4: wit of the hill's inhabitants. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Go> <laughs> you remain silent. <laughs> Country person across <laughs> from you uh, decides to dignify that with no response. Though. But the
3: only conversation I had all day was when an owl lad turned around and gave out to me for wearing a Metallica t-shirt to an All-Ireland final. But this is my Master of Puppets t shirt sir. I'm in my mid-teens rocker phase. It's what I wished I'd fired back with. Instead, I just stared down at my dock boots, wishing the ground would uh. swallow me whole. So while this weekend's fixture hasn't exactly got the country into a lather of excitement, it does hold happy memories for some of us. Although, actually, in recounting that story, I realise it doesn't sound all that happy. No. All. The teenage years, they're a complicated time of life. It's quite Murph.
4: angsty, actually. A lot of
3: angst. So much angst. That's for another show. We're going even further back than 95, back to the 1986 final, I believe, between Tyrone and Kerry Murph. That was the last time Tyrone went into a match on the, a day like this against a supposedly unstoppable force. Well, not supposedly. Kerry were unstoppable that day.
4: Mm, yeah. Well, if you're talking about Dublin as the greatest football team of all time, which a lot of people are then their only real contenders for that crown were that Kerry team who faced Tyrone in 1986. Uh, Tyrone led at halftime, led by seven points into the second half, ended up losing by eight points. And uh, that lack of belief, I suppose, the lack of feeling like they belonged is kind of understandable in a lot of ways because obviously 1986, you're right in the middle of the troubles and the the challenges that Tyrone would have faced even to get to the situation where they had a functioning football team. I mean, them and Armagh in 1977 were really the only two teams from the six counties to get through to an Ireland final until 1991 uh, throughout all of that time in the trouble. Yeah, so, it's difficult enough just to
3: play matches and just to do the normal things at a GA club or a sports organisation would be trying to do, let alone try to win All-Irelands. So we'll get to all that a little bit later. But that's all after our guest this week. And what a guest. Sharon Horgan has created and starred in some of the best shows on TV, from The Much Loved Pulling to Divorce, which she wrote for Sarah Jessica Parker on HBO, to my own personal favourite, the BAFTA award-winning Catastrophe, alongside Rob Delaney, which has been a huge hit in the UK on Channel 4 and on Amazon in the US. And her work in the States has recently extended to the Hollywood movie Game Night, which she starred in alongside Jason Bateman and Rachel McAdams. That all sounds extremely impressive, but it's another piece of information that will most possibly affect her This Sporting Life leaderboard score this morning, because this is also the first time we've spoken to the sibling of a sporting superstar. Sharon's brother Shane is a legend of Irish rugby scorer of two of her most iconic tries against England at Twickenham and at Croke Park. So we'll find out what it's like for the families of these professional sports people who are Pretty much living every moment mm. in the stands. Sharon and Shane, very proud. You want to come in there? Yeah,
4: she's got some game herself, though, apparently, which we can get into also. Well,
3: let's get into that. Yeah, Sharon and Shane, very proud. You grew up on a turkey farm in Mead, but will any of the skills learned in the poultry game help Sharon's overall sporting score? Murph, tell us what she needs to do to become our 2018 greatest non sports person sports person.
1: I could have been a contender, I could have been somebody.
4: Ashton B is still queen of all she surveys from the top rope. Her wrestling abilities enough to keep her at top spot on 78 points. Tommy Turnin is a point and a half back in second place, with Gabriel Byrne and David Biddy locked together in a grim stalemate on 75 points. Paul Howard is bottom of our league of superstars, currently fighting it out to be named our greatest non-sportsperson sportsperson of 2018. Today's guest... Sharon Horgan has every reason to feel supremely confident. You can get in touch with us on Twitter at Second Captains. Let's start
3: this morning off with a classic from Kate Bush. And then it's Sharon Horgan on Second Captain Saturday. Beautiful Wuthering Heights by Kate Bush, starting us off this morning. Today's guest on Second Captain Saturday is an incredible writer and actor. She's also a more than capable turkey plucker, by all accounts, and the creator and co star of my own personal favourite TV show, Catastrophe. Sharon Organ, you're very welcome to the programme. Thanks
4: very much. I'm not sure, if any of our previous guests boasted turkey plucking abilities? uh No, no turkey plucking. But uh Lenny Abrahamson plucked uh, chickens for years. Did you know that?
0: I didn't know that. But you're lying about no other guests. I mean, you've had Shane on. Uh,
4: well, that's true. Mm-hmm. And also, Lenny Abrahamson <laughs> totally did not pluck chickens.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry,
4: we did kind of set you up for that one there. <laughs> see now you're relaxed, Sharon. That's <laughs> a good thing, you know.
0: I would believe that. Yeah. The right I,
4: by the way, it's only going to count as a sport for me if there are any plucking, you know, world records around. I bet set. there are. Well. I've, it's got to be a
0: sport somewhere. It's a sport in Russia for sure. <laughs> yeah,
4: we've done some research and no such records exist for you. So <laughs> you've been working hard on the latest series catastrophe.
0: Yeah, we just um, wrapped three weeks ago, mm-hmm. so we're in the edit now, edit and grade and mix, and it's all kind of going on at the one time, and it's incredibly stressful and lots of running around Soho. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's the it's weird because it's the last no. series. No. And, mm. Yeah. Why are
3: you Why are you doing this to us? What am I going to tell my wife? She loves it as much as I do. Uh,
0: well, I'll just come to your house and do a little <laughs> skit. <do> a little <laughs> skit for you. Yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> uh, why Why have you decided to? Finish um,
0: it well, I I don't know. I mean, sometimes I feel like it's a uh, it's a good idea to quit while you're ahead. I mean, we might not be ahead by the end of this <laughs> season, so you know, mm. it might go horribly wrong, but. I don't know. I guess um, the stories came to us really easily and we really enjoy writing it and I suppose we thought we didn't want to push that, you know. We didn't want to sort of be forcing story and, you know, it's it's kind of a tricky show to write because a lot of it's straight from, you know, ourselves and um, sometimes that isn't always easy, not wanting to sound like too much of a mm. wanker, but sometimes life sort of overtakes and, you know... Um, and, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's good to it's good to quit while you're ahead, I guess, if you're yeah. ahead.
4: And, you know, we, we all, I suppose, have examples in our head of programmes maybe that have overstayed their welcome.
0: Give me five.
4: Well, <laughs> the, well the Simpsons <laughs> is like, you know, until Catastrophe, probably my favourite television show of all time. Yeah. And, you know, I don't think there's any doubt about, about them overstaying their welcome. I but,
0: don't know if 22 seasons is too much. Yeah. <laughs>
4: <laughs> well, you know, I would have been... Perfectly happy with twenty seasons of catastrophe and cola quits <laughs> then, but I mean it is kind of, there, that is kind of an overpowering thing though. That idea that you know not even so much that the shows wouldn't be good, but that just in the background that idea of you know oh God you know would one bad season take away you know all of the brilliant seasons that have preceded? I yeah. mean I don't think so. But I
0: I I don't think so either. But there is something about. I mean we kind of made the d- the decision that it was going to be the last one before we started writing um mm. the fourth series but um there was something about writing the fourth series as much as we loved it it just felt a little bit harder <laughs> and so and I think in a way in the back of our heads we were like you know but let's really push ourselves and make sure this is a good one to go out, to go out on and and I think in a way we always had a kind of end point in our heads and then this sort of fantasy idea that we do a sort of um, Richard Linklater and like (laughs) 10 years down the line. (laughs) Hey, (laughs) we're back. But I mean, I don't know if that's going to happen. But, you know, there's always a a, a sort of a fantastical possibility down the line. Yeah.
4: And like that idea of uh, returning to it in 10 years time, even if it is just a crazy idea, it does suggest, um, you know, a massive warmth that you guys have towards the characters and towards the show.
0: I mean, we we do. I... I, uh I've kind of broken down a few times when we did our read-through um, because you're reading all six scripts and everyone's there and most people have kind of been involved with it from, from the very beginning and we got to the, you know, the kind of last scene of the sixth episode and really, really embarrassingly, I kind of lost my shit about it. I just couldn't sort what, of what, read it. What, what was it? What, what was... Well, it, it was kind of, it, it was a scene that we sort of had in our head for ages and that we'd finally sort of written and... And I guess it was kind of a summation of the series, but also like me and Rob, you know, like meeting all those years ago and deciding to try this thing and, you know, everything that's happened over the the last few years and, you know, that sort of sense of what would have happened if we'd never met each other <laughs> kind of thing. And like, I just found it a bit much. Uh, so that was embarrassing. And then... um yeah, on set when Rob um, did his last scene, I, I was yeah, I couldn't even I couldn't even talk to him. So <laughs> what was the last scene? No, I'm not uh, now. <laughs> I, I, I was just it. like I'm, I'm going to email you everything yeah. I'm feeling now. Yeah. I've got no um, way I can express it. I haven't done the email yet, but that's...
3: it was uh, it obviously has been a really big part of your career and your life. Then the way you're mm. talking about it, this isn't just us pro- projecting our own. Biases <laughs> onto it because we like it so much. It's like it kind of oh, launched you in a whole different, different
0: oh, yeah, direction. Oh yeah, completely. Yeah, I mean, it was the first thing I really, I guess, truly loved after pulling. And pulling was, I guess, the first um, chance I got to, um, you know, to write a show and, and make a show. And uh, I, I loved it and an awful lot. And again, it was like making a show with my good friend and, you know, embarking on this new thing and. Um, so I never felt like I'd love anything as much as I love that show I mean I was I, I was, you know resigned I was like well I'll never make anything as good as that and I'll certainly never enjoy anything as much as that and like not not belittling anything I did in between it was it was a genuine feeling so when this came along and you know it was such a pleasure to write and it was such a you know I don't know it was therapeutic in a lot of ways you know and, and like I said like lots of life stuff happened and um, but yeah, I mean, in a, in a purely sort of careerist sense, it completely changed things for me.
3: How was it, it therapeutic? That was an interesting word to use.
0: Well, I mean, you're you're kind of you're writing about your relationship, and I mean, I think I've probably said this quite a bit, but I I much prefer. Um, <laughs> you know, writing a show and filming a show and (laughs) editing a show where I get to talk about a problem I've got rather than actually turning to my husband and and (laughs) saying that problem. You know, but like I, everything kind of went into that. You know, friendship stuff and... You know, I've, I've got a, a, a brother in the show who's kind of an amalgamation of both my brothers yeah, and yeah. you get to sort of offload and uh, it feels, you know, very selfish talking about it like that. But at the same time, it's, I think, why people related to it because it was kind of an honest um, uh, yeah, conversation, I suppose, about um, relationships and, and family and, and stuff. And it's kind of scary being that honest, but uh, people... Like it, don't they? Because they kind of go, oh. That's how did me. that
3: change? Not how how people like it necessarily, but your own. Feelings towards the characters. How would that have changed over the four series? Do, do you, do, does it become this thing where you feel nearly attached to these people? Obviously, you're starring in it yourself.
0: Yeah, I mean, you really do. Um, it's uh, you know, it's dysfunctional, if I'm honest. Um, but the, I guess what what happened was we started off kind of writing about ourselves a lot more, and then the kind of over the course of the series, the characters kind of develop and. You know they have their own sort of hang-ups and foibles and stuff, and you realise that you're not really writing about yourself anymore. You're writing about these characters that you know so well. There's a divergence, yeah, yeah, completely, because you kind of, in a way, you you sort of end up. Well, you do end up knowing them a lot better than you did at the beginning of the series, and and so yeah, you do kind of care about them and. You know, um, want to spend time with them. So it is a bit of a, a wrench.
3: There's no doubt about the show's greatest strength, Sharon. It's got to be the wardrobe choices. Mm. <laughs> In particular, the second captain t shirts easily the, the greatest product placement we've ever had. Yeah, I mean, ever. I, we
4: should explain that your brother, Mark, is a second captain's producer. You're not just a massive fan uh, of the Well, you are, come of course. Both, but both. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, my brother Mark um <laughs> produces this show, <laughs> and uh, I mean I've I've um, I I have a history of sort of involving my family in shows. Like when I did pulling, I made sure that I got a clip of um, Shane. Um, you know, um, oh, scoring a try, scoring Something. his most historic try in the background of a TV on a TV in a, in a pub that we were Brilliant. filming in, and you know, close ups and everything. <laughs> and I didn't know who knew, it was kind of my own kind of private joke to myself. And, um, like Dennis Kelly, who I wrote, um, uh, pulling with, I wore, um, um, a sweatshirt from his other show, Utopian. And other, so I kind of, I don't know. It's just fun. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I just wanted to get second captains um, in there. And also, they're great t-shirts. It's a really good green. <laughs> <laughs> it's a nice design. It um, just pops I, on the screen. I it mean, does. I, know, I know what you're saying. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, it's, um, and it, it all went really well until series three when I thought, you know, I'll do my usual annual getting uh, a second captain's t-shirt in there. And uh, we had this this, uh, morning breakfast scene completely, you know, like fine and funny. And um, so I was like, oh, wear it, I'll wear it for this scene. I didn't sort of work out any sort of continuity or, you know, what Mm. the scene was that led up to that. (laughs) <laughs> so then as it turned out the scene before which then mm-hmm. I had to be wearing the same of t-shirt course, you don't obviously. just change your t-shirt no, in a, the a night it's
1: television air air, on yeah, yeah, come on yeah, yeah.
0: yeah I was having a personal moment of pleasure with myself <laughs> <laughs> and uh and that was just awful mm-hmm. and, yeah. and awkward. And, and I felt like I didn't want anyone to read anything <laughs> into it. It felt so wrong on so many levels, but like continuity comes first, right? Yeah, of
3: course. Of course. I feel this must be therapeutic just to have gotten that <laughs> yeah. out on the airwaves
4: <laughs> yeah. at last. I, I know we, it was for us. We sorry. did get a couple of questions, we, to be fair, word, on Twitter. There were some raised eyebrows. Oh,
0: know. you know, I'm sure it was tastefully done. <laughs> yeah. I think what
3: I love about, well, one of the things I love about the show is the ability to deliver these kind of emotional... Good punches in amongst all the comedy. I know I'm not telling you why your show is good, which is I, I don't know how that necessarily works when you're the one who knows what's best about it. But even the way the the third series ended, you know, and I don't want to be too much of a spoiler alert here, but like there's a darkness to it that 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 creeps in. It's always kind of a presence. It's mm. it's not it's it's a comedy, I guess, mm. but there's a there's a darkness. There's emotional times. Honestly, myself, my wife, at the end of series three, are we're, we're just in shock. It took, it took us a little while to to gather ourselves. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, I don't know. Um, Tell I, me
3: why I enjoyed a Series 3 series. Uh, <laughs> That's what I'm asking.
0: Well, I, um, I think we've always tried to um, um, be as funny as we possibly could be, but we also didn't want it to sort of be sitcom fair. You know, we didn't want, um, uh, we, we wanted to, it to have a, a weight, I suppose. And so we we always felt it could be the kind of show that would deal with you know death or alcoholism or post depression or you know any of the scary tough stuff that comes up in life because that is life and we that was the thing that we were wanting to do from the very outset but the scary thing was whether we'd be able to get away with it or not because there's a fine line between you know dealing with that stuff and and in a comedy and and seeming to be making light of it you mm. know so again we just had to um just be honest and 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 you know put on the page what we would have said in 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 real life I guess and uh um I think that's yeah it is it is part of why it's connected with people um you know sometimes it went a bit heavier than we'd sort of planned but we (laughs) (laughs) well yeah yeah I mean yes I mean definitely the 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 end of series three with the car crash and stuff but I mean, that happened to Rob. That that was, you know, his kind of story right. to a certain extent. And um, we, we always set out to, for his character to be an alcoholic, but a recovering alcoholic. And, um, but we always felt like it was something that we thought you know we'd have in our our back pocket because you know that's not an easy journey by any stretch of the imagination and we didn't want it to just be you know um, he's just sailing through it so we figured at some point you know Life would get on top of him, and and he'd deal with it by relapsing, and and you know there's consequences to that, and and then we left ourselves with a really difficult <laughs> starting ending. Boys. We're like, what the hell do we do now? <laughs> you can't go to prison, um. So that was yeah, that was it. Took a lot of working out. But I'm Where, glad you and your wife enjoyed it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> when will we? When will we turn it into a prison drama <laughs> yeah. In series? Yeah, four? yeah. When will we is. be
3: seeing this final series, which I refuse to believe is going to be the final? series <laughs> When's
0: um, it the Well, I, we we think it's going to go. Out early next year but we haven't got um, uh, a set date yet we're just sort of editing it at the moment and uh, uh, I mean it'll be ready soon but you know there's all sorts of stuff you need to work out with the channel but
3: first. Now we'll be getting into your childhood sporting endeavours oh, in just a little while.
0: Sporting endeavours. <laughs> you
3: wish. As recently as this, so I hope somebody gave you the brief of this show.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh,
3: As recently as this March you were out pounding the streets of London. You ran a 10 kilometre run, is this correct?
0: Yeah I did.
3: Go on. This is for uh, for a good cause as well.
0: Yeah, it was for Great Ormond Street and we <laughs> we went along to to have a picture taken with a big check and I mean they were delighted because we, we, we raised like, you yeah. know, twelve and a half grand or something it's, it's Great, great Ormond Street it's yeah, for yeah, Great yeah. Ormond Street Hospital yeah, yeah. Uh, they were kind of taking the mickey because um it's the most anyone's ever raised for such a paltry amount. Run, <laughs> normally <laughs> <Well, the, laughs> ultra marathons usually the ratio
4: of kilometer to thousand euro <laughs> I or know. thousand is pretty strong. I, I, I know, I yeah. know.
0: We we felt guilty, but you know, um, it it was it was. I actually really enjoyed it. I you know because I don't normally um, go out and train. And and me and my very close friend, we we did it together and we we trained and uh, we only trained up to five k. So the the, the sort of extra 5K that you run is, you know, it's a bit of a mystery yeah, yeah. as to Leave what will up happen. To our Lord
1: to take care of the other 5K. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. Um, no, it
0: was, it was great. It was fun. I used to, I mean, I used to run a bit as a kid. But, and, and it's always, it, you know, it's always been something that I've, it's a preferred sport, mm. you know. Um, but Great Ormond Street is... Um, I've got you have a strong connection with that hospital because they sort of looked after my daughter when she had meningitis and, and sort of, you know, saved her life, I guess. And uh, so, I mean, the least I could do is run around the park yeah. a couple of times. <laughs> I feel like I should have done it a bit more. When well, we went you in together. shook
4: hands and said, Now we're square.
0: <laughs>
4: I don't want to hear from you again.
0: We did. We did commit to doing um, a half marathon while we we're in there because they shamed us, you know, about yeah. the, la- the 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 um, poultry amount of um, miles that we'd run. So we we're like, you know, we'll we'll do it again.
3: I should say, David O'Doherty, one of our previous guests, received one of those giant novelty checks mm. for an early award that he won in his comedy career and thought you were supposed to cash it <laughs> yeah. and brought it into his bank when he got back home from Edinburgh. So uh, I'm, I'm sure they know what to do at Great Ormond uh, Street Hospital. Ted, you, you mentioned your daughter there and how you've gone through the, the health service in the UK. I think it's something that we probably don't understand quite. There's a reverence for the NHS in Britain um it seems that like no matter everything else seems to be divided in the country at the moment but i think the vast majority of people are aware that if you're living in england you actually have a quite lucky compared to a lot of other parts of the world
0: yeah i mean it's 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 an extraordinary thing and uh um i i mean Certainly, working with um, Rob um, the last few months, and he's he's very involved on on Twitter with um, you know the I guess the the campaign for one of a better word for Medicare for all in the states. But he's someone who absolutely has you know a, um, a bird's eye view of what it was like um, for him in, in the U.S. You know when mm. something you know traumatic happened to him, and, and the kind of debt, and you know the kind of difficulty that arises from that and um, and you know the the situation in the UK um, because I mean in the US it's it's nuts. I mean there's so many people who you know get themselves in such serious debt and especially when it's you know a family member who's ill, that's such a horrendous thing to deal with and, and certainly when, when side was ill you know if on top of that what we were worrying about was losing our house rather than you know our kid getting better I mean it just puts a completely um, different slant on things so, so
3: they make it affordable essentially is that the best thing about it? Well, normal I mean, people can afford the kind of Normal care people need
0: don't have to think about um, the um, they don't have to think about anything else apart from you know getting well I guess and and Um, that's the huge difference, you know, um, whether it's yourself or, you know, a a family member, it takes up so much of your energy. And it's so, you know, it's such an emotional um, time. I mean, especially if it's a, if it's a kid, and, you know, if on top of that, what you're having to deal with is whether you're gonna, you know, um, make it through to the next month financially. I mean, you know i mean people take their lives people can't cope with it they have like literally tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of um dollars of medical debt and they just you know how how do you deal with that
3: yeah i guess it's the kind of thing you don't even think about either unless you you're, don't and that's like...
0: it's, it's great that people are talking about it at the moment because people because of the terrible situation in the states people are sort of able to focus on the fact that we are extremely lucky and i mean i pray to God it, it it sticks around. but I mean it's it's pretty scary at the moment because you know people don't appreciate it and it's got its flaws obviously and it's underfunded and you know um, I guess you know mismanaged in, in a lot of ways, but it's there and it's you know it's, it's just an enormous um, privilege.
3: You mentioned your brother Shane, who played a bit, yeah, he played a bit of rugby. <laughs> for, yeah, little just just a few little teams like Ireland and Leinster, and yeah, the British yeah. and Irish Lions, yes. And did you watch your younger brother Shane with his blossoming career with nothing but unadulterated sisterly pride as he went from <laughs> one marker to the next?
0: Oh well, I I would say um, on the whole it was unada- unadulterated um, sisterly pride it it like it seemed to come out of the blue you know i was like what um one minute he was you know i can't remember what age he was when i left ireland but um he would have been like 10 or something maybe not even that so i mean not that i was i, I left and never went back but you know that's the kid i left and uh and then when he when he got his his big break it was I was confused. I was like... <laughs> you is...
4: that tiny child against Jonah Lomu in his first cap.
0: I was just like, yeah. what Cruel is... Cruel and inhumane. What is happening? Um, it was it was enormous sisterly pride but it was all I was je- yeah pretty the, the major one was just I was confused yeah um, en- <laughs> en-
3: jealous at all en- envious
0: <laughs> well you know what um, I se- I wasn't jealous I was ashamed of my own situation <laughs> in fact I, I would really credit Shane's uh, <laughs> rise in the sports world to me kicking myself off <laughs> the arse and going you know maybe you should leave the job centre and well, uh, where,
3: where, where were you at at that stage of people who aren't familiar with your career
0: I was where was I? Um, 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 I was living in Camden. I'd stopped. I just stopped squatting, so I'd sort of moved up the, up the property ladder. ladder. Uh, I was you living took that step by yourself. <laughs> you yeah, know, we should always remember that. <laughs> that's true. Thank you so much. A... It, it is true. Uh, I was living in in shared co- accommodation in Camden in a housing cooperative, paying twenty twenty five pounds a week for my room. And and in fact, that I remember, that's where I I, I got the call that he'd sort of. um I guess it was his first time playing for Ireland. Yeah. No, or would have been Leinster. But uh I I just I just remember thinking wow, you should really start getting your act together now. This isn't this isn't good. So it was I don't know, I I would hate to call it jealousy because it's only ever just been a source of like enormous pride, but it definitely made me think I needed to um you know
3: <laughs> I needed to get a proper job <laughs> how closely did you follow his career did you get to many of the matches
0: oh yeah I mean not all over the world like I didn't go to Australia, Australia in 2003 no. Yeah, for his first I didn't do Cup that game. I got fear of flying so that's how I got out of that one but you know um, I was
3: actually at that World Cup watching where Sharon, are you? Sharon just, I'm absolutely shaming you now <laughs> <laughs> but listen he played uh, very well you uh, know, uh, in that, in that no note.
0: but you know all, all over all over um, the UK and Ireland and, and Europe and yeah, I mean it it was a a huge um excite really exciting but sort of emotional roller coaster time of our lives.
3: How was it an emotional roller coaster?
0: It's really um difficult to watch someone that you love so much and care about so much go out onto that stage and and you know because your nerves are you know you you want them to win that would be the main thing you don't want them to get injured you don't want them to screw anything up and have the whole country come down on them they you know yeah. it's people are very emotionally invested in sport and so anything that 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 happened you know it, we were just on you know you're just nerves your nerves from the second you go into the match to until it ends and uh i mean i'm not saying it wasn't fun yeah <laughs> it was fun and and we got to you know have this amazing experience as a family because it brought us all together and you know um lots of good parties <laughs> mm-hmm. but um but it was you know emotionally sort of gut wrenching
4: yeah and i think a lot of people maybe don't think about that you know and i think that maybe criticism of sports people wouldn't happen to anything like the vitriolic extent that it does if people did actually think of my god well you know these people have three sisters and a brother yeah. and a mum and a dad. Yeah. Who are to an insane degree emotionally invested yes. in it. Like, you know, and people don't they can't experience it because they, they're not in that situation themselves. Yeah. But it's a career that's lived by the sports person but then lived by the intimate family members yeah. as
0: well. Yeah, yeah. I mean definitely for most of it it, it was just a, a wonderful experience. But you know, the highs and the lows, we went to um Paris for the World Cup and that was like a, a really tricky time and it was, was two thousand
3: seven, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it was didn't um, go well.
0: it was it didn't go well and it was really difficult watching him um go through that, you know. Um it was an amazing um you know, accomplishment that they were there, even and that he was part of it, and that's would be the beyond the pinnacle for, for most people. But just you know, seeing the seeing how you know the pain he was in and, and, and his disappointment, and um, you know, that, that, was, that was tricky, yeah.
4: And that was like four or five months after, well, I don't know, probably the highlight that you know, the the, the try in Croke Park
0: yeah, in 2007. The pain which, for
3: a second, we're talking yeah. about one of the most iconic Irish I rugby know. areas like 2007 at Croke Park against England, yeah. Incredible.
0: I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times I watched that. We, um, it's weird, you know, at the beginning and at the end, at the end of, of matches like that, you kind of stop being family and you just become a crazy fan. Mm. Um, I, I remember a moment when we were after, after I can't remember if it was that match, or if it was another, maybe it was the, um, when they won the, the European Cup Mm, was in that? 2009, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. say 2009. Yeah. Of course. Or Happy 2011. Date.
4: You were just confused because he'd won two. <laughs> exactly. I was, I was, of course, yeah. 2009 is the one. But, um... That was at Murrayfield. Just
0: seeing yeah. him, you know, they do this sort of lap of honour. Is, is it called a lap of honour? Yeah yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. She's and, lost all confidence there <laughs> <laughs> Come on, But, turn, but, you you like, um... You know, we were up in the stands and just like seeing him down there and just like wanting to sort of grab him and, like touch him like, like any of the other sort of fans were there. And I remember my kid was really young at the time and like running down and it's like pretty much vertical, isn't it? Like almost tripping over myself and <laughs> dropping my baby to hold my baby. I tell my brother, like touch my baby. Um But I remember Shane saying he, he had a moment even, um you know, with, with my mum after a match where he saw her sort of, as like part of the crowd and, you know, her sort of holding her hand out because she just wanted to say, you know, well done and I love you and stuff. But it was, you just, it was like a, a mental kind of excitement mm. where you just kind of, the, the moment just kind of overtakes you and you really do want to put him on your shoulders and <laughs> <laughs> run around the group with him. It would literally be impossible. <laughs> but maybe if we all got together... <laughs> Uh, Yeah, it was a wonderful time.
3: Yeah, it certainly sounds like it. All right, so we've established your credentials as a Shane Horgan superfan, but what about your own sports career, which has remained unexplored until now? Coming up next on Second Captain Saturday, we reveal this sporting life
1: of Sharon Horgan. RTE Radio (sighs) One.
3: Second captain, first captain, whatever. If you're looking to get in touch with us on Second Captains Saturday and you're on Twitter, then the best thing to do is just tweet us at Second Captains. Our guest this morning is the wonderful Sharon Horgan, who is ready to finally open up on her own sporting achievements. Firstly, Sharon, was it a big deal in the household growing up? Was there a lot of sport on TV, on radio, that kind of stuff?
0: Oh, God, yeah. Uh, we, we, um, My dad's a huge sports fan. Um, and really sort of sporty chap I mean he was the one who got Shane into rugby in in the first place like throwing the ball around in the the backyard but um, uh, in terms of watching it it was I would say you know the sports that a lot of Irish um households watch you know snooker, yeah, yeah. Uh, darts um <laughs> well tennis was was a huge one, and uh, just for the same two weeks every year <laughs> yeah. yeah um and 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 boxing mm. a little bit of racehorsing and um and then you know obviously the the ball sports. is it true
3: <laughs> that you dreamed of playing at Wimbledon?
0: <laughs> um, yeah, I did. It's um, great having
3: these these researchers yeah. who are mm-hmm. truly <laughs> in. You earned his money this week. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, yeah, well, I mean, tennis was a you know watching tennis was was a big big um, part of our lives in the summer. I, like I remember driving um, to um, you know little sort of. Ireland summer holidays with um, Wimbledon on the radio. Um, you're never really hearing it, but you you get the gist of it. <laughs> um, so you know, and, and they the that's the the sort of big matches I remember is like you know Jimmy Connors and McEnroe and. Navratilova and Chris Everett and so yeah I I got a tennis racket I used to go down the back of the house where the uh, turkey sheds were Um, you know they're a good size Mm. (laughs) and There's, um you On know
4: a fr- very forgiving wall, of course, <laughs> I would have thought. <laughs>
0: you can play really well <laughs> against a turkey shed door. Um so yeah, I used to play down there and um yeah, of course when I'd get a really good, you know, backhand um, <laughs> off the back of the turkey mm. shed door, um I would yeah, I used to em- envisage myself um at Wimbledon I was actually telling Mark embarrassingly that part of my whole uh, part of my whole imagination for my future Wimbledon was, was meeting Cliff Richard and that we would embark on, on, a, on a love affair of, of, of some kind You
3: would be Wimbledon champion at this point? Mm. Yeah
0: and he'd be there because he's always yeah. there oh, Always there <laughs>
3: yeah,
1: yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And uh, yeah we would meet I'd sort of worked out um, that obviously I was a bit young for him at the time but by the time I got to 16 he would have been in his early 40s and, and the world would accept that <laughs> (laughs) (laughs)
3: you said that you did some running when you were younger
0: um yeah I did I I um so I had um, an an accident when I was about twelve. I dislocated my hip, and um, I didn't um, I didn't realise that I dislocated it. It was just like oh, that's a bit sore, and uh, my mum my mum took me to the to our GP, and he was like, "Yep, that's growing pains," and uh, I was like, "Great, see you later," and um, and anyway, it wasn't getting better, and you know she took me to all sorts of places. Actually, I ended up seeing um, Sean Boylan. That's right. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Perpetual yeah. manager. Yeah, 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 yeah. extraordinaire. <laughs> and. Uh so you know and that didn't work herbs didn't fix my <laughs> dislocated hip uh so eventually we we went into the the hospital in Georgia, and they went oh your hip's severely dislocated we're gonna operate on it now and have three <laughs> um steel pins put in and i was in hospital for a few weeks but when i came out part of the sort of getting better the physio of it was to you know start running again and weirdly when i came back i was sort of better at running no. than I, yeah so i was convinced i, I was bionic
1: oh. <laughs> i I was convinced
0: that my i was like lee majors you know i'd been rebuilt a bionic woman i suppose is a better reference yeah. i was convinced i'd been rebuilt and um yeah i you know i mean i, I didn't go that far but well, you know how, how far did this career take you well, this, this new me, bionic <laughs> leg it took me i thought I, I, I ran in the i had no, I'd no idea if i was any good or not right so mm-hmm. we went to the mead finals and uh I think my dad would have loved us all to be um, sports heroes. Um, and he, he came along to the mid-finals. And, you know, when you're running, it was like long distance, like cross-country or whatever. When you're running those sort of long-distance races, you um, you never know whether you've been sort of lapped or if you're miles <laughs> ahead. You're just kind of running in a sort of fugue of pain. And I remember coming over the line and just being, oh, well, that was that. And, like, and my dad running up and saying, you, you know, you came third. And I was like, what? oh my god I think I could have won that <laughs> I definitely didn't use all my energy at the end if I'd known I was third I literally could have come first so at that point I was like right well I'm a, I'm a runner that's yeah. it that's so it now. You, you
4: have all the natural ability in the world some focus issues perhaps <laughs> You know, small perhaps what? you know well, just on the mental side of things, you know? It's well I'm just being in has the- got in the zone. It's
0: what yeah. every yes, runner dreams of. I was yeah. in the zone. Okay. So then I went from the mead finals. I'm making this sound like it's a brilliant story. It's, it's, it's a not. Story. Uh for me, <laughs> me finals. To uh, the North Leinsters, the big one. Um, the big one. It was known the, as the big one yes, uh, I came a very respectable seventh. Uh, again, respectable. again. See, this is it. this is actually
3: respectable. I the, only the, story, here, but... the only issue with the story is it's actually like, quite a decent achievement. For yeah. getting to here.
0: <laughs> again, I was convinced that had I known I was in that position, I could have cracked up <laughs> a bit. I didn't know. I didn't know who I had to beat. <laughs> yeah. um, so I started uh, running in my um, bare feet. Because at the time, um, it was Zola Budd was, you know, the sort mm. of um, big, big news and um, I just I just love the idea of it Zona um,
3: Budd just for yeah it was a South African athlete who declared for
4: Great Britain Great a Great couple Britain, of weeks before the 84 Olympics competed against Mary,
0: Mary Decker Mary yeah. Decker why am I asking I was asking Murph here I'm, <laughs> ta- I'm talking to Zona Budd's <laughs> biggest fan well no I mean not her biggest fan but I was like you know fascinated by her uh, she was so little and she was you know so kind of the underdog and stuff so I, I decided I was going to start um, running in my bare feet and mm. that was that was going to be the Thing. That's
4: that's cross country in Ireland in the winter. Yes. In bare feet.
0: Yeah. It's it was icy. Yeah, I can, <laughs> um, I can imagine. I don't know. I went I went to Santry and I guess that must in for the Leinsters and yeah. uh I didn't do very well and then I just thought I mean I'm I'm I am a really um competitive person. It's it's an affliction really. Um I I you know, even with you know board games or whatever I'm like I find it if I think I'm not going to win, I'm like less likely to um, take part. Get, yeah, yeah, to take part. It's terrible. It's it's a shame. It's a shameful thing. <laughs> but um, not faring well at, um, at Santry, even in my bare feet, I kind of thought I'm definitely not exceptional at this. I'm out. I'm
3: sorry. I'm still stuck on this barefoot thing. There's been a recent <laughs> phenomenon. It's been reborn in recent years. There was really? A book, yeah, there's a book called Born to Run by Christopher McDougall about four or five years ago, in which he essentially argues that we were born to run. This is what humans used to have to do. What It's what differentiated us from the other animals yeah. out there. And that our laziness over the years, particularly in Western society, has kind of meant that we've ended up putting all this padding mm-hmm. around our feet. He recommends go back to barefoot really? or at least as close an approximation as you can. So, you were
4: ahead of your time there in the North <laughs> Leinster. Mm. On the other frostbite. hand, your toes would fall off with frostbite. That's yeah, my. You that know, on the only. one hand, you know, we're getting back to our sort of primeval state as human beings. On the other hand, frostbite. But uh-huh. did you just drift away from the sport then, or was it? Yeah, a I serious, did. Like,
0: Could. No, yeah, I, I sort of drifted, drifted away. I mean, re- realizing I wasn't exceptional, I guess, was the big part of it. But then also, you know, I'm a teen. I was a teen then, and you know, you start wanting to do other stuff like hang around Drada Shopping Centre and smoke fags. <laughs> and, uh, I don't know, it becomes, um, becomes less of a thing.
3: You're saying there's more peer pressure to smoke cigarettes around Drada Shopping Centre than to barefoot run.
0: You know it. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I'm taking this, this is the career highlight now, the, the third in Meath. Mm. I, I, that, I think, That tops yeah. seventh in North <laughs> Leinster. We need to get, we just need to get Actually this a tight
1: tough down. one. I mean, I, you yeah. Okay.
3: Uh, Frankie Murph, this next bit is a formality as far as I'm concerned. <clears throat> Top spot is there for the taking. Will you please do the honours and what rank? What is happening? You're going to be ranked here, Sharon. Oh, oh. This sporting life of Sharon Horton.
1: You don't understand. I could have had class. We don't have stars in this game, Mr. Weaver. Well, what do you have then? People like me. I could have been a contender, I could have been somebody.
4: Alright Sharon you have some unimpeachable sporting credentials Uh, I don't think there's any doubt about that but do you have enough credit in the bank to seal top spot in our non-sportsperson sportsperson sportsperson leaderboard 2018 I must now rank your all time sporting highlight and identify the sportsperson that we feel most closely resembles your sporting personality which you've so uh, artfully uh, painted for us there and from that massive data give you a mark out of 100. Your all-time sporting highlight remains that third place in the Meath cross-country final. Your belief that, like Radioactive Man or some other comic book character, a potentially devastating personal experience had in fact given you superhuman abilities is both hilarious (laughs) and just the kind of delusional self-confidence we like to see here. So in fact, your willingness to continue competing even though you knew in your heart of hearts that your dislocated hip was the sort of advantage that could would, indeed should, demoralise and decimate your opponents, it means that you share many of the personality traits that made Olympic cheat Ben Johnson, disgraced 100 metre champion soul in 1988, <laughs> sports history's greatest monster. Ah, that is, come on. We have some uh, bonus points added for being one of Eastmead's premier turkey pluckers. Yes, turkey plucking is a sport, with some points then deducted for all of that innocent turkey blood that you spilled. Further points added for putting Second Captain's t-shirts on air on Channel 4, and some points deducted to issue any suggestions of nepotism, giving you a final <laughs> score
0: it better be good
4: 77 points good enough for second place uh, behind Ashling B oh
0: <laughs> that's harsh <laughs> I get it I, I get it I'm I'm I'm, uh, I'm grateful just, I'm grateful
4: you know just think about how this would play out in the of public a? opinion still uh, an A in college mm, A it's,
0: a, col- it's, it's a, a college
4: first it's a college first yeah you know about that
0: yeah that'll do
2: Sh- <laughs> Sharon Horgan this has been your sporting <laughs> round
0: of applause Sharon thank you so much thank you
3: The Pogues there with a pair of brown eyes for today's guest, Sharon Horgan, and all our Irish listeners tuning in from London this morning on Second Captain Saturday. So let me just get this straight. Sharon Horgan had a prestigious underage athletics career powered by her barefoot
4: running style and a bionic hip. <laughs> I did not know that. Murph. I did not know that. Uh, so this is very much a learning hour. This is, the, uh, this is the most learning I do in every hour of the <laughs> week. Oh. Of
3: course, a bionic hip is only going to get you so far. The real bionic woman was a complete all-rounder. Jamie Summers. You need a refresher here, Murph? Yeah, I do, actually. She was the lead character in the 1970s TV series, The Bionic Woman. Had been a world-class tennis player before her skydiving accident. She gets rebuilt with cybernetic implants, leaving her with extraordinary strength in her right arm and both legs. But most importantly, one of her ears is replaced with a super sensitive listening device capable of hearing a pin drop from a mile away. The perfect attributes for her new role. So
4: she's got two bionic legs and only one bionic arm and then one bionic ear
3: according to seems like, my
4: limited information. Yeah, it seems like a pretty strange mixture. Doesn't
3: well, it? They're pretty good at- attributes for her role as a spy for the Office of Scientif- Scientific Information. Mm. No word on whether she restarted her tennis
4: career. I'd say she'd be hot favourite for the US Open if she was out there today. That's all I know. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's, you know... I think you'd probably find out pretty quickly that one of your competitors had a bionic arm <laughs> Listen Owen The 70s were a different time I can't put myself In the shoes of her Would-be competitors back then
3: Now Tyrone haven't been such Rank outsiders In an All-Ireland Final Since 1986 At that time People were saying They were up against The greatest team of all time Which might sound familiar To people this week Gotta say I like this new air of confidence Coming out of Tyrone this week Fergal Logan Managed the county To an under-21 All-Ireland Final A few years back He told the Examiner The closer it gets The more I feel Everything is stacked well for us Complacency may be Dublin's undoing Owen Mulligan Mm-hmm. Was even crediting Mickey Hart for getting the. We watched the TG Carr documentary Murphy and I. Know you did on Sunday night. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, it was excellent. Oh, Mulligan uh, credited Mickey Hart with getting that put on with the TG Car schedule. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Essentially, Mickey Hart's wow. pulling the strings there just to really <laughs> whip up the excitement, the All Ireland Final fever in the county. It might all be clutching at straws, but it's not a bad thing because if the supporters of Dublin's opponents in an All Ireland Final. We're not to even give their own team a chance mm. It's a pretty grim scenario So yeah. Tyrone might as well at least
4: think Tyrone are going to win Yeah I mean yeah. if You know if there are 30 counties that aren't involved They can make up their own minds But surely the supporters Of the two counties involved <laughs> Should at least be feeling quite bullish Objectivity is the last thing you want there Listen Saturday morning of an Ireland uh, Final weekend Is a great time to be involved You know all of the bad things Are ahead of you <laughs> right now as of this morning you have as good a chance as Dublin of winning the Iron title so go for it
3: I hope you enjoy the game whether you're heading along or watching or listening to it here on RT Radio 1 thanks to Mark Organ and Simon Hick for producing the show to Killian Down who researched for us Marion Fanoukin is coming up next thanks Kieran. thanks on thanks for listening